Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat, and, and if you do, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're starting a brand new sermon series today, um, and it's called Made for a Mission. Um, and, and it's really based around, uh, really kind of the starting question is, what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the local church? You know, I think every single church in this season, and us no exception, have had to come back to this question of like, what is the purpose? And, and here's the reason why. For the past two years, every single church in all of our nation, and, and really globally, but I'm kind of got my eye more on um, uh, uh, the local national context. But what we've seen over the past two years is the local church be faced with tremendous challenges and tremendous changes. And, and so we've experienced this ourselves. And so one of the things that you see is we went from in-person to online and then back to online and in-person. Um, one of the things that uh, is like the national statistic of today is that one third of those who were engaged in a local church before COVID are no longer engaged anymore. So just like 33% of those who were engaged in church are just flat out no longer engaged at all. That, I don't know if that, that just like blows my mind. And then there's like a whole nother third that their engagement is less than it was before. You know, before COVID, the average um, attender would uh, attend church about two times a month. That was someone who was considered a regular attender. Doesn't sound that regular to me, but that was like, that was a regular attender. Someone who is kind of regularly engaged in a church is connected twice a month. And now there's about a third of the church that are no longer coming or engaging twice a month as much as they're engaging once a month. So you have one third that is just like, sayonara, see you later. Another third that is like kind of engaged, kind of not. And then another third that is more fully engaged. But you know, one of the things that uh, I'm reminded of in scripture is that God often uses a remnant um, he uses a remnant, rises up a remnant to do new things for the kingdom of God. And so when I think about our church, unfortunately, I wish we were the exception of the statistic, right? Like <laughs> all of you other churches, you're only missing a third of your people. No, no, no. It's, it's, been, it's been real for us too, right? Um, and then you add on top of that, that in two years, we've been forced to change locations three times. We've been in person, we've been online, we've been in person and online. We've, we've faced these challenges just as well. And I think what it does is it brings us back to this question of, okay, but what's the purpose of the church, right? Like, what's your purpose and my purpose in belonging to a church? Like, does that matter? And there's a sense where it's easy to think like, okay, the purpose of the church, the goal of the church, the aim of the church is get as many people in the seats as possible, right? 
Like the goal and the purpose of the church is have a lot of people there on Sundays, have community groups that are full, have an amazing worship team, which, you know, by the way, okay, we're there, um, or, or have an amazing preaching team or have an amazing children's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, family ministry, singles ministry, Am I missing some, uh, 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 an older people? No, they don't call it older people, right? A next generation, no, still not it. Legacy, legacy ministry, right? Like that, that's the purpose of the church is to like have all of these different ministries that are great, but wait, is that really what God's word says? Like what is the purpose of the church? What is your purpose as a follower of Jesus in the church? And when you look at Scripture, really, the one-line answer, like, you got to break it down. There's a lot underneath this. But if someone cornered me and says, okay, like, what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the mission church? The one line would probably be pretty simple. We exist to glorify God by being disciples that make disciples. Or if I could just make that real brief, we are called to be disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Like Matthew 28, right? Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead, conquered death, conquered sin. And, and, and what does he say to his disciples? Come up to heaven with me. No, he says, no, go and make disciples. That, that, that's your calling. But are, are we doing that? And so our elder team specifically, we, we've been thinking about this. And um, for the past several months, we've been thinking about, okay, are, are we truly living up to this purpose of being disciples that make disciples that make disciples? Are we really doing that? And by the way, if you're thinking, okay, well, define discipleship for a moment, right? What does it mean to be a disciple that makes disciples? I want to show you up here a, um, a, a concentric circles. Guys, if you think this is awesome, um, it's because I made it. Guys, when I think about discipleship, I, I, one, I think it's very nuanced, Right? Because someone can say, oh, I'm a disciple that makes disciples because I disciple my kids. I'm killing it in that area. Okay, great. What about discipling your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? What about making new disciples? And so when we talk about discipleship, what we see in Scripture is kind of this multi-nuanced, um, layered view of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple that makes disciples? is at the very heart of that is you have to disciple yourself, right? And maybe what that looks like is being in the Word, being in prayer, belonging to a local church. But then you have to disciple your family. I mean, Deuteronomy 6, is read that passage yourself. It's an incredible passage, but it's basically this passage that starts with disciple yourself by loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the next 20 verses or so talk about discipling your family. But listen, can you disciple your family very well if you're not discipling yourself? So you must disciple yourself, disciple your family, and then... Disciple the church, discipling one another. You know, Proverbs talks about iron sharpening 
iron, as one man sharpens another. That, that, that one of the purposes of the local church is that we are discipling one another. But then what's behind, beyond that is we disciple the community. We are, we are not just discipling one another, but we are going and making new disciples. And then beyond that, we are discipling the world, the nations. Jesus says, go on to the nations and make disciples. But, but when we think about the church here, I have church right in the middle, and you've got these sweet arrows here. And here's the reason why. Um, I have these arrows pointing from the church down to discipling your family, discipling yourself, and then going and making disciples. When you read Ephesians 4, again, an incredible passage, but verses 11 through about 16, it talks about how God gave the church pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles and prophets for the purpose of equipping the saints. That's, that's really important there. That literally, that's saying my job as a pastor is to equip you for the work of ministry. My job is to equip you to disciple yourself, disciple your family, go and make new disciples both locally and globally. But if you keep reading in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about the purpose of the church is not only to equip you to make disciples in all four or five of these concentric circles, but that the church would grow each other up in love. Translation, that we are to disciple one another. Now, this is just my own perspective, did not take a research study here at the Mission Church. But when I look at this, and I think of our church, I think one of the areas in which we've been very faithful, and God has, I think, brought a lot of success, is that we've been a church that has been faithful to equipping you to disciple yourself, equipping you to disciple your family. One of our, um, one of our values here is legacy builders. We want you to be able to disciple your family, whether it's your spouse or your children, or one day it's your spouse, one day it's your children. I think that we've been very faithful in pursuing how do we disciple one another. But when we start going outside these other circles... I start thinking and going, I'm not sure we're doing that to the best of our ability. Like how many of you here, or maybe those who are watching online, have made a new disciple in the past year or two? How many of us have not only asked that question, have I made a disciple in the past year? How about this? How many of us have actually shared the gospel clearly with someone in the past several months or the past year? And maybe we all have, but I found that for most Christians, we, we struggle at this. Anybody? We can be a talking church. Amen. Anybody? This is a struggle? Just let me hear you. Amen. Why is that? I mean, this in many ways, is the purpose of the church 
to be disciples that make disciples that make disciples. This is the purpose of the church is not just how do we build each other up in here, but how do we build each other up in here so that we can go out there and reach the lost that we deeply care about. And I wonder, I wonder if maybe the greatest barrier to you and I being faithful to going and making disciples of our community is simply we're not exactly equipped to do it. There's this sense of like, I want to, but, but how? How do I effectively share the gospel without coming across weird or awkward or confronting, right? How do, how do you and I share the gospel in a way that is received with grace and gentleness and love? And, and as I actually shared this whole concentric circle with our, our elders and staff, our leadership team, I shared this with them and I, and I just pointed this out like, man, I, I'm not sure we as a church are being as faithful as we can be in these last two concentric circles. And can we say that we are a faithful and successful church if we're only doing these three circles? And I felt this conviction of absolutely not. And the irony of it all is when we started the Mission Church, we, we named it The Mission. And when I say we, it was actually me. My pastor, my pastor pulled me aside. He said, hey, when it comes to naming your church, God called you. So name it something that you feel like God is calling it to be. And I just, I felt this passion of, I, I want us to be believers that truly is living for the mission of making disciples that make disciples. And imagine with me for a moment, imagine someone in your mind who doesn't know Christ. Someone you care about, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member. Imagine if this year, God gave you the opportunity to lead them to Christ. I mean, that is really the vision and, and the heartbeat of this sermon series. And as I shared with our elder team and our staff, I'm like, this is what I want our vision and our focus to be all year long, equipping our people, not just to invite other people to church, like, hey, come and hear the gospel, not from me, but, 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 but from my pastor here. And you know what I've realized? Here's the culture that we are in right now. Here's what's changed dramatically in the past two years, but probably more five or six years. Your friends and your family are probably less likely to come to the church and hear the gospel and probably more likely to be willing to hear it straight from you. And what if we are a church that's not so much just invite all of your friends, which you should, right? Like, I think that we should, not discouraging you. But what if we were a church in which we were all equipped to effectively share the gospel with those we care about? And what if this year God gave you the open door and the opportunity to share the gospel and lead someone to Christ?
And so this, this sermon series that we're going through for the next eight weeks, and, and this theme is going to carry on all year long, is equipping you to effectively share the gospel. And so I want to give you um, a handful of tools, four different tools. I'm not going to give you all today here, but here are the four tools we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks. Is One is prayer. Two is, now this is a little cryptic. You'll hear more of this next week. Um, what I'm referring to is the three circles of sharing the gospel, like just a very clear, concise way of sharing the gospel. And then three, the tool of your story of what God's done in your life and how to share it. And then fourth is discerning spirit-led conversations. Side note, I wonder if we are living in the most, a season in which people are more open to the gospel than ever before. Why do I say that? I just heard a statistic recently from a podcast and it was saying, this was about three months ago, that that um, a survey was done um, for people, I think it was between ages like um, 16 to 35, somewhere around there, and, and it was around suicide, and they found that of that age range, one out of four said that they had contemplated suicide in the past six months. That, does that not like, we are living in a moment in which people are lonely and hurting and struggling and the opportunities that we have to give them the hope of the gospel are plentiful but do we know how to do it and so um this evening i, I want us to look at second corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 through 21 and, and here's my goal today here's my goal my goal is to help us see from scripture the pathway for someone's salvation. What God says, here's the pathway for someone to be saved. Here's the pathway for how you and I get saved or how, how one of our friends or coworkers or neighbors get saved. Here's the pathway and what your role is in it. And what I want us to see is that your role is huge, that we were made for the mission of making disciples. We were made for the mission of sharing the gospel. But let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It begins this way. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everybody say new creation. New creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has Come. Now, pause for a moment. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Now, the church in Corinth, um, one of the major issues there was that they were being, um, they were being shaped and molded more by the culture than they were by Christ. This was a bunch of new Christians, but the culture was shaping them, molding them, and, and drawing them in rather than Christ. They were living their identity out of the culture instead of Christ. And so Paul is writing to them, addressing all kinds of um, uh, cultural issues that they were buying into. And Paul is reminding them like, hey, no, you are a Christian. The Holy Spirit is in you. The old is gone. 
Does anybody remember how they lived before they got saved? How they thought before they got saved? When we get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes into us. And we become a brand new creation with a new calling as well. And Paul begins to outline this pathway of salvation in verse 18. He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled. That's a big word. Let's say it together. Reconciled. Let's say it one, two, three. Reconciled. Reconciled. Very relational word. We'll get to this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. Now, here's what Paul is doing in verse 18. He, he is giving a brief description of the way, the pathway of salvation. And, and if you're taking notes here, maybe you want to write this down, or maybe you just mentally file, file this. He's making two points here for the pathway of salvation. Point number one is this. Salvation comes through God as he is reconciling us through Christ. Salvation comes through God reconciling us through Christ. But here's the second point that that Paul is making. God uses believers as ambassadors to bring people to salvation. God makes the way of salvation through Christ, but then he uses you and I to lead people to salvation. Now, now here's what happens in the rest of these verses, 18 through 21, is that Paul begins to unpack in more detail these two points here. Point number one, that salvation comes through God reconciling us through Christ. Look at verse 19, and then we'll look at verse 21. It says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them And then it says in verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Back to verse 19, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. The word reconcile is a relational word. The word reconcile, it, it, it assumes that there are two different parties and, and, and they have something in between them. Namely, probably sin. One of them sinned against the other or maybe both of them sinned. And so they are not on good terms. But the word reconcile is this relational word in which two people come together, in which sin is in between them. They come together. They identify the sin. They apologize and forgive. And all of a sudden, they're good. They are in relationship with one another. And this is saying that you and I need to be reconciled to God. That what stands between us is our sin. But notice it says it is God who is doing the reconciling. 
Anytime this word reconcile is used in the New Testament, God is always the subject. God is always the initiator. We never ever reconcile ourselves to God, right? It is God reconciling us to himself. And the way that he does this is through his son, Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, it just gets blatantly clear how God does this. For our sake, he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the trade-off. Jesus gets all of our sin... And we get all of his righteousness. Sounds like a pretty good trade, does it not? Jesus gets all of our sin. And we get all of his righteousness. I think it was Martin Luther who called this the great exchange. And what God is doing is he is reconciling us to himself. He's, he's saving us from our sin in the wrath our sin deserves. And what this is teaching us is that the only way that we are reconciled to God is through Christ. We can't do it ourselves. And so maybe many of us, we already know this, but it's worth stating that salvation, it comes through Christ in Christ alone. That salvation does not come through good works. That salvation does not come by working harder. That salvation doesn't come by going to church. That salvation can only come through faith in Christ Jesus. That is the way He has made a way for our salvation. But before we move any further, I think what Paul is trying to get the church in Corinth at is to feel the weight of this. It's as if he's trying to say, I don't want you to just come to this head knowledge of this salvation, but this heart knowledge of this salvation, to be overwhelmed with the weight of the gospel. To not just see the gospel message as a ticket out of hell and into heaven, but to see salvation is us being reconciled to being in a relationship with God. And by the way, I wonder how many of us, what holds us back from sharing our faith is just merely a, a lack of passion or a lack of zeal. Like, you ever get someone that, that can't stop talking about the Seahawks, right? Anybody? Maybe you were that person, but now you are a new creation and the old is gone. Maybe not. Or now maybe the Seahawks are just not very good at all. Or, you know, name the hobby, right? You come across someone who's super passionate about something, and what do they do? They talk all about it. I remember when I first got engaged to Melissa, I tried to um, provide that information to anybody and everybody I would talk to. I don't know if you ever did this, or maybe I remember, again, when, when we figured out we were pregnant with our first child, I was so excited about this that, that I tried to include it in every single conversation. I'd meet somebody, and I'd say, hey, how's, you know, what's your name? And they say their name, and they say, hey, what's your name? I'd say, my name is Zach, and I'm having a kid, and I'm so excited. Like, I just can't wait, right? 
But how often does our passion for the gospel, the passion of what Christ has done for us, come out of us? Have you met, have you met these people? These people, their lives have been so changed and transformed by Christ that it just like, it comes out of them. It's hard for that person to have a conversation without mentioning the grace of God or the blessing of God or Christ in their life. Are we like that? Do, do, do our neighbors, do our coworkers, do our friends, do they look at us and, and how long does it take for them to realize that the most important thing about us is our faith? And, and, I, and Paul is trying to draw that out of the church in Corinth of like, hey, where, where's your passion for Christ? And if it's not there, you're probably not going to be very effective in sharing the gospel. Hey, hey can, I, can I tell you about Christ? Well, why? Because my pastor's preaching a sermon on it and I have to. Or is it, hey, I just, I can't help, I want, I want to, I desire to. And Paul is, I love it, in, in a few verses before this, I don't have this in my notes, but I, I love what he says in the verses before. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. In other words, he's saying, because people thought like Paul, like Paul, bring it down a notch. What, you're so zealous, you're so passionate. And here Paul is going, like you don't understand. I am compelled by the love of Christ. What Christ has done for me, I can't help but share it. Is, is that how we are? And so in this passage, Paul is saying, okay, the way of salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. But he doesn't stop there. He starts talking about how the way of salvation actually includes you and me. He, he goes on in going back to verse 18 and verse 19. Verse 19, it says, all this is, or verse 19, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. It's not merely that the way of salvation is made through Christ, but that for some reason, God in His grace says, I want to get you in on this too. You are going to be a part of leading others to salvation. That you just might be an essential player in the salvation of someone else. I mean, those of us who have come to know Christ as our Savior, think back. Was it just because God shouted at you from heaven? Or was there someone in your life or maybe multiple people in your life that helped you walk down that pathway? I can think of names. 
If you go to Romans 12, or excuse me, Romans 10, Paul says in a different place, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Do, do you catch his logic there? He says, how are any of your friends in your family who don't know Christ, how are they ever going to hear the gospel if no one tells them the gospel? And how, how is someone ever going to tell them the gospel if they're not ever sent? Paul is saying in this passage and in 2 Corinthians, you and I are ambassadors. You and I are made for the mission of leading people to Christ. And it's worth noting that there's two pieces to what it looks like to be an ambassador. In verse, verse 18, he refers to God giving us the ministry of reconciliation. But then in verse 19, it talks about how God has entrusted us the message of reconciliation. Did you catch that? So as ambassadors, we have the ministry of reconciliation and we have the message of reconciliation. What's the difference? Ministry is life. Ministry is action. Ministry is deed. And Paul is saying, you and I are ambassadors. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We should live our lives in such a way that people see that there's something different about us. But that's not just it. We are also to have the message. The message is spoken, right? We must not only live a life that points people to Christ, but we must speak it too. And how many of us, maybe all we do is we live it but never speak it. I'm thinking of this story in my head here. It was a book I read, and it was an example that was given, a real-life example, and it was talking about um, someone who was in a workplace, and, um, and he had this relationship with his boss, more of a working relationship with his boss, and um, this guy, this worker, this employee, ends up just through, you know, life circumstances, hardship, trials, struggles, comes to salvation. And he's so excited about it. And he kind of starts talking about his faith. And his boss pulls him in and says, hey, um, this way you're talking, it sounds like you're a Christian. And he said, yeah, I, I am a Christian. And the boss says, great, I am too. <laughs> and the employee looked at his boss and said, are you kidding me? Like, why? I would have never guessed that. Why, why didn't you ever say that? Why didn't you ever vocalize that? I always looked up to you, but, but it was because of all these things that you did. If I knew you were a Christian, man, that would have changed a lot of things. We would have gone down this pathway maybe a little bit quicker. How many of us are speaking the gospel, actually telling people clearly 
This is what Christ has done for me. And oh, what He can do for you. That's what it looks like to be an ambassador. But what I want us to see here, what Paul is so clearly saying, is he's saying, you are a part of the pathway of someone's salvation. That God wants to use you to lead people in your life to Christ. Can you think of something better? I mean, just imagine for a moment. I just want to keep coming back to this all year long. Imagine if by God's grace, you got to lead someone you care about to Christ this year. God used you to do that. What, what an absolute gift. You were made for the mission to share the gospel. But are we living that? Let me end here. Let me end with maybe something that at least I was thinking about. There's a sense in which you can listen to this sermon or you can read this passage and go, oh, wow, this, this feels like a lot of pressure, right? Like, wait, Zach, are you, are you saying that God's word says that like I'm an essential part to someone's salvation, that that person might not get saved unless I walk across the street? Pressure, right? There's a sense in which we can feel that. But, but, but here's what we need to see here. And this is back in verse 18. All this is from God. What is the, all this? It, it's the salvation. That is to say, all of this, the God working in, in, in someone, the God working salvation in the way of salvation, and God working in you and through you in salvation, all of this is from God. That, in other words, you're not on your own. That God is at work. I think of two passages, 1 Timothy um, is it 2, verses 3 and 4, where it talks about, how it says, um, for, for God desires all men to come to salvation. That, that is a powerful verse. God desires everybody in your life to come to salvation. God's on your side, right? It's not like God's going, see them? <laughs> no, Mm-mm. no, don't worry about them. These, these people, focus on the... No, no, no. God desires all people in your life to be saved. Now, will they be saved? Again, that, that's up to the Lord. But we need to start with this realization that God wants every single person to be saved. Or I think of that passage in, in John chapter 6. Um, it's somewhere in the middle where, where Jesus says, nobody can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. So think about this. What if I told you that that neighbor of yours that doesn't know Christ, what if I told you that God may very well already be working in their heart? He might already be at work, and all that needs to be done is for a person to go share the gospel with them. I mean, again, think about those of you who know Christ as your Savior. Think about your own story. My guess is nobody convinced you to get saved. My guess is no one sat down and said, all right, you know, 
Let me convince you, and you came to the point of going, okay, I got no other choice. I guess I'm going to have to be saved here. My guess is God was at work in your heart, and God just happened to use someone to do that. I, I, I'll end with this story, um, a, a book that I was reading um, it's about a missionary. Uh, he's a missionary, but he goes on this long season for over several years. He interviews um, Christians who live in persecuted countries. And so he's interviewing this one particular Christian. And the Christian, um, he's a Muslim background person, um, lives in a country where it's illegal to be a Christian or to practice as a Christian. Um, and most of those people there have never heard of the gospel in their whole entire lives. And so he's talking to this guy who is a new Christian, Muslim background, and hearing his story of coming to faith. And here's what, here was his story. He had a dream, and in the dream, there was a blue book, and he kept having this dream over and over again. He had no idea what this blue book is. The Koran he has is a green book, and all the Korans he could think of were green books, and one day he has this dream where he, he, he sees the blue book in the marketplace, and so he goes into the market that day and there's a guy with a blue book in his hand and he looks at him and this guy hands the blue book to him and says, I, I, was, I, I had a dream and I was told to give this to you. Gives it to him, boom, disappears because it's kind of dangerous to be found with a Bible. Gives him this blue book. It's a Bible. He goes home. Uh, I believe he reads it, um, uh, I think it's six times in the next month. Not bad, right? <laughs> Last Sunday, I was talking about reading through the Bible in a year. Why don't six times in a month? That's what he does here. He reads it from cover to cover six times, and he's like, I've never heard of this Jesus ever before, and he gives his life to Christ. That's his story, and I realize that it's pretty radical, but it shares the point of this. It's not on you. It's not on you to bring someone to salvation. It's just on you and I to be obedient and faithful, to be ambassadors and share. It's not on you. And, and you have no idea what God is doing in the hearts of those around us. What, is it, what if he's brought someone to the 99-yard, one-yard line, and all you have to do is just say, can I, can I share my story? And all of a sudden, they surrender their life to Christ. And so, a word of application would just be this. Think of one person in your mind right now that you care about that doesn't know Christ. One person. We're going to add to this, but start with one. And here's what I want you to simply do. Begin to pray for them every single day this week. That God would open up their heart and open up the door for you to share the gospel with them. You and I were made for the mission of sharing the gospel. Let's go and do it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you've made the way of salvation. You made the way. You made the way by your son, Jesus Christ, coming and paying the debt of our sin and then rising from the dead. And so we thank you and we praise you for that.
And Lord, for some reason, (laughs) for some reason, you have invited us to play a role in the salvation of others. And so, God, would you use us starting now that we would get in our mind that person in our life that doesn't know Christ and begin to pray for them, praying that their heart would be opened by you and praying that you would open the door for us to share the gospel with them. Pray this in your name. Amen.